For all the autonomy and civil liberties allowed us in the West, few places seem as powerless and irrelevant as a quaint suburban home during times of global civil unrest. At least that's what it often feels like as a stay-at-home mom or a work-at-home mom. As a young mother, I was often frustrated by what I saw to be my own inability to enact meaningful change while taking care of my two daughters. Yet I know as a researcher and a writer that this sense of purposelessness is not limited to mothers, but can follow women, especially Christian women, throughout various seasons of their lives. I'm Haley Grace Scott, and this is Christian Curious. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm speaking with Denver Institute's Faith and Work, Joanna Meyer, about how Christian women can find meaning and purpose through their life's calling. Joanna serves as Denver Institute's Director of Public Engagement, hosts the Faith and Work podcast, and oversees the Women in Vocation Initiative. Prior to coming to the Institute, Joanna worked in global telecom, nonprofit counseling, and campus ministry with Crew. She has an MA in social entrepreneurship from Bakke Graduate University and graduated magna cum laude from the University of Colorado Boulder. She also completed a certificate of women in leadership through Cornell University. She is a contributor to the multi-author book, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. Joanna, welcome back to Christian Curious. It's nice to see you again. What a treat to be here. Last week, we spoke in depth about the concept of calling, and you have a unique, abbreviated uh, definition of calling because you've thought a lot about this. You've worked in this field for a very long time, um, and calling can be so misunderstood into culture. So just to recap, how do you define calling? Yeah, calling is living before God in all of life. Um, It's the idea that when Christ saves us, he calls us to something that's very general, played out in our unique and specific lives. And that generality is he calls us into relationship with him. He calls us into an identity as followers of Christ. He calls us into relationship with the church and to a life that uh, follows his redemptive purposes in the world. Those are all the generalities. And we can rest in knowing that that's a pretty big marching order. Um, it has it applies to our daily work. It applies to our relationships. The challenges in the daily discernment of figuring out what's the right stewardship of your unique life in responding to that broad call that God gives you. Right. So it's not just you know, going to a specific job or it's not just working in ministry, but it can apply to many different ways that we can can work. Yeah, definitely. And that all work, whether it's paid employment, uh, whether it's professional work in an office or um, labor out in uh, a construction site, all of that matters to God. All right. So since calling is such a deep and complicated topic, um, rooted deeply in Christian tradition, it's it can be really complicated for Christian women to uh, to to discover their calling, um, often because, you know, maybe that they feel pressures from the outside, from work, or they feel internal pressures. Um, I remember being 20, in my 20s, um, figuring out, I was sitting at the library where I worked as a, a librarian, and I was sitting at that desk along with a fellow researcher, and she said, um, Hey, Haley, you know, these people really want me to go to this school for my doctorate, but guess what? I really want to be a mom. And when she said that, I was 25, 26 years old. And the second she said it, I looked out the window and I thought, oh my gosh, 
I've been told my whole life I can be a mom, I can be a wife, I can have a full, you know, fulfilling career all at the same time. And I realized that's not actually how it works. <laughs> it's complicated. I, you know, I've been told that I could have it all, but I did not ever realize until that moment I had not actually ever seen anyone have it all. Um, I had not actually ever seen a woman have both of those things at the same time, you know, especially when their children were younger. Um, And so it can often be really hard for Christian women to discern their callings. Um, What have you seen to be the biggest obstacles for women, for Christian women, when it comes to figuring that out? Yeah, I think you're hitting on something that women experience, regardless of their spiritual conviction or not. I often refer to it as churn. It's that sense of uh, the complexity of our different roles and responsibilities in life and figuring out, I hate to use the word balance, but how we navigate stewarding them all well in the different seasons, which have priority, which don't. And actually, I think this is a conversation that applies to men too, but culturally, we've often put it in women's laps because they've had primary responsibilities in home and taking care of kids. And so it can feel more exaggerated in the conversation that that women have. But Uh, So I think there's just complexity around that in general. But for Christian women in particular, I think it's hard because we lack a biblical framework for thinking about work and relationships. I think about my own life. I'm in my late 40s and single. I've never been married. I no longer am able to have kids. And so when we think about kind of the guiding framework of a Christian woman's life, I don't check any of the boxes of what's expected for me. And so I'll often refer to myself as an unexpected career woman in the sense that I knew that I would work when I was younger, but um, I never imagined that career would, by necessity, and I want to emphasize by God's goodness, would play such a significant role in my life. And so my life has had to push this conversation around work and calling forward simply because I've needed to have a job just Mm -hmm. to sustain myself along the way, and I say this is why it's by God's grace, I've developed a really like robust and strong vision for Christian women and work. And um, and so I think the lack of a biblical framework for thinking about work, when there's that vacuum or that absence there, culture speaks incredibly powerfully. And so it could be your family background, your unique uh, part of the country that you live in. If you grew up in a church environment, uh, the denominational perspective of your culture's thoughts on on work and family are huge in that. Even your ethnic background, it really can vary. But we all have these outside factors that are filling in that gap for how we think about what it means to use our gift in the world. Um, And I had a friend of mine who, uh, a a very well-known author, and let me say, she's not my friend. She's a a social (laughs) media acquaintance. I don't make myself sound more famous than I am. But an acquaintance that I have, Karen, Swallow Pryor, who's mm-hmm. a fairly well-known uh, author uh, and kind of thought leader, she had said, sometimes I think our perspective on women is, is Victorian. It's not actually biblical. It's, it's rooted in a very specific point in time in what we thought about gender roles. And so it's very freeing to be able to strip it down to the bones and say, like, what does scripture actually say for women and men about work? Right. You know, and I think that there's today, there's actually a greater freedom for, for women to be able to go outside of the out of the home to work, and that can often, you know, f- compound the pressures. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, ex- you know, studies have shown that the exposure to more choices causes more anxieties. And so, you know, trying to, you know, expand your vision of, of what you think your life ought to be or what you think your life's calling should be. Like me, I think that I should be out saving the world like superwoman when really I'm just nursing a child or you and or any woman who 
maybe unmarried or, you know, childless, you know, trying to question what is my life's calling when I always expected this or I always envisioned this, you know, I think that that's, um, you know, I think it's kind of ironic because mine was the flip. I thought I would be in working and I kind of emphasized that over kids until I was in my late twenties. And then I was like, Oh no, I need to think about this, you know? Um, but yeah, so you know, when it comes to calling and we think about the way calling can, you know, flourish in every woman's life, not just the mothers, not just the career women, or not just women who do both. Um, how can women start to think about women who are, you know, wanting to develop further in their calling? How can they start to tap into their natural and spiritual giftedness in order to fulfill the calling that God has get put on their lives. Yeah. Okay. So I have lots of thoughts. I think the first one is realizing that decisions that we make about how we will uh, balance our gifts and our roles and our, I'm going to say role in public life, because I think that's a unique area of discipleship that doesn't exist for a lot of Christian women. And it drives our women invocation initiative at Denver Institute um, kind of questions of what is the right stewardship of your unique situation and then the secondary element is, how will God be discipling me in that? And so those are two kind of principles I want to hold on to. And then I'm going to back up and provide a little bit of a kind of a theological framework. I think before we can start talking about, you know, what specifically a woman should be doing, we want to look generally and say, well, what is God calling us into? And I would argue that looking at scripture, we see God from the earliest pages of Genesis calling men and women into a blessed alliance, as the author Carolyn Custis James calls it. We're called to be working together in the care and the stewardship of creation, that we want to be making something of the world. We want to be laboring together. We want to be caring for it. And so you see that women and men are in it together. There wasn't this artificial division of labor between work that was at home and work that was out in, in public life. And we see that model all the way through scripture. We don't see this artificial division of gender roles. It's only after the industrial revolution when you begin to have work in factories um, that people are moving away from a more agricultural or trade-based economy that you begin to see this splitting of life in public and life in private. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we begin to spiritualize the different roles. We would envision men having work out in the world in public life and would have women primarily working at home and that was highly spiritualized, um, that it was elevated as motherhood as the highest calling. And there was a lot of Christian value that was infused in the separation of those roles. But when you look at scripture, you see much more togetherness that both men and women should both be asking those questions of how do I live with God in all of life? So in my public life and the work that we have, um, if you are working outside the home, what does it look like to be a faithful presence for the Lord there, regardless of your gender? And then also, what does it look like to be a faithful steward of the unique responsibilities that you have in your own life? I don't have kids. I have a pet. Um, but I'm still a faithful steward of my home life, of my neighboring relationships, of my life as a citizen. I have lots of parts of my calling that aren't professional, if that makes sense, that exist outside of my life at Denver Institute that are part of those broader questions about stewardship of my life. And so understanding some of those values of stewardship and discipleship, understanding the value of all forms of work, um, it allows us to say, okay, Lord, what is the right way to manage who I uniquely am in this situation? Yeah. I love all three of those. I mean, they're all very important. I mean, the value of all work 
is, you know, talk a little bit more about that. We t- talked a little bit about that on, in last week. And if you missed that episode, you can find it on our website, uh, christiancurious.com. But, you know, what is how can we find value in all of work? Yeah. What does that mean? So it goes back to those biblical foundations of being created in God's image, of God giving the instructions to humanity to be engaged in the development and creation of the world and, and co-creating new things in life with God. But it also um, goes to the story of Christ's death and resurrection, that Christ died both to save individuals, but also to restore the effect of sin that it has had on all of the human existence on he's redeeming the cosmos you could say so everything in the created world is going to be renewed through what um, christ has done on the cross and suddenly you go oh there are things in my workplace that have been affected by sin or aren't the way that god would intend them to be like when christ in the lord's prayer saying thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we realize oh god's will god's kingdom is alive here on earth and so our daily work is a place where god's kingdom values god's kingdom in, uh, intentions our work and how we approach the things of our daily life and the way that we function, whether our job is hourly, salaried, in the home, in obscurity, on a farm field somewhere, any form of work matters to God. And that suddenly makes us ask deeper questions of, oh, what does it look like to be faithful, to have a godly influence in the unique place that you are? Yeah. Well, you spoke about the Industrial Revolution and how it sort of split that family and work sense into two different spheres. And then in the great resignation and in the way that men are changing now, um, you see it coming back a little bit. People are fighting against that divide and they're saying, wait a minute, I want better work-life balance. I don't want this to be so divided. And so you see even men saying, I want better life work balance. I want to be around for my kids more. I want to be part of their growing up. I do want to change those dirty diapers occasionally, not all the time, but uh, you see that. But women still do face different challenges when it comes to calling than men. And what do you see as some of the differences in those? Yeah, let's start with what you described just now is the challenge of balancing work outside the home with caretaking responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And this actually applies to both men and women. It tends to fall heavily, heavily on women's shoulders, but for us to be able to move forward and women using their gifts broadly in public life, it raises questions of how do we better support people in both their uh, life as an employee and their life with as a caretaker. And heck, I don't have kids, but I still have a mom. My mom is, you mm-hmm. know, in her mid seventies and is is going strong, but she's had she had her knee replaced this spring, and so I took a week off work to be able to walk my mom through that surgical recovery. So I had caretaking responsibilities. Any human probably has something that they're having to take care of, and so we need to have a richer conversation about what does that look like. Are you ready to earn a master's degree, but concerned about fitting more into your already busy schedule? Visit denverseminary.edu to learn more about our fully online programs, financial aid opportunities, and more. The education you receive at Denver Seminary will challenge you to grow spiritually, intellectually, relationally, and professionally. Learn more today at denverseminary.edu. So I think that's why we see women having such struggles is that the the U.S. has been slower than other industrialized nations to address those caretaking responsibilities and to provide supportive structures around that. So there's still issues out there with things like 
paid family leave. If you have a family emergency, regardless of if you're a man or a woman, does your workplace allow both space and financial support for you to be able to respond to those needs? The U.S. still is far behind other nations in providing for that or um, acknowledging that an employee has, um, for women especially, a physical reality in addition to their life as an employee. Like we had a woman on our team had a baby about a year ago. And so we had to think about what it would look like to create a place in her off- in our office where she could breastfeed mm-hmm. at work or be able to pump. And I, I mean, the stories are legion of women who are trying to figure out how they can breastfeed their kids and also um, be faithful in their office, or if their office doesn't even have a discreet and comfortable place where they could pump breast milk. It's all kinds of questions. So you just start to realize like, oh, the modern workplace, instead of saying like, well, women, women shouldn't be working, we need to be asking, what does it look like to support our employees as whole people? regardless of their gender, that supports the reality that, yeah, they do have responsibilities outside the workplace. So there are so many conversations to be had around what that looks like. That's just one area that creates that struggle for women. You know, that that makes me think of uh, whenever I first had my daughter, Vivian, my youngest, I, she was six months old when I went back to teaching. And, you know, I taught, you know, at a graduate school, you know, just part-time. And I remember teaching this week-long course and, um, I brought her with me and I make it an, an intention as much as I can to bring my daughters with me along with work. Um, and I brought Vivian with me to, and when she needed to, uh, nurse, she would scream and my whole class heard it. You know, I had the secretary <laughs> taking care of her, but when she was ready to eat, she was ready to eat and she let the whole building know. Yeah. And so I'm in the middle of a lecture and she starts screaming and I can see my students saying, okay, are you going to be a good professor? Or are you going to be a good mom? And so I ended up having uh, them do an assignment I had already had prepared while I went and nursed her in the bathroom, but I was crouching on my heels in the bathroom because yep. there was no place to sit. And, um, but I wanted to make the point that, okay, women can, women have these whole lives, you know, to live. And it's not just, you know, work and it's not just family and, you know, there can be meaning and, all different areas, and they really do need to be better integrated. Yeah, we haven't, we're only scratching the surface of the kind of consequences women face for maternity in the midst of being employees. Uh, I want to hit on two other themes that are important about uh, challenges women will face as they live out their calling in the workplace. One is the idea of a double bind, um, and that's the idea that when we think about what leadership or professional effectiveness looks like, we often look at it through a gendered lens. That sounds very like sociological for me to say that. But what it is, is that when we think about what an effective leader looks like, uh, academic research studies have shown that we often have a list of masculine attributes like assertiveness, clear thinking, um, unemotional. There could be a little bit longer list. Often qualities like competence. Yeah. With things we think of as masculine, they really aren't. And, and for women, we might think of them being, um, more emotionally driven or relationally savvy, nurturing, nurturing all of those. And so when we think that leadership comes in a certain package, you could see a woman not exhibiting those gendered behaviors and think, well, she won't be an effective leader. The irony is that the studies show that effective leadership actually flows through a lot of those feminine attributes. But how we look at them, you're in the bind of saying either I can act according to what is expected of my gender, those qualities to be described as feminine and be viewed as ineffective, or I can 
man up, shall we say, and start showing more masculine qualities, but people may not like me. And so women face this bind of being either perceived as effective as a leader or likable as a woman. And um, it's very difficult to cross the the bridge between those two. And that can have a pretty profound effect on women's advancement in the workplace. It it will call for deeper work on the behalf of both men and women to think beyond kind of gendered stereotypes about leadership. And Right. Whenever I did my dissertation, I did my dissertation on the double bind. Mm-hmm. And I went into 21 different parachurch organizations in order to figure out what people thought about women leaders. And I found that, you know, there is that double bind that we do expect, um, we do expect in Christian organizations, because this study has been replicated thousands of times all over the world, but never really in a Christian context. And, you know, we do expect good leaders to have these agentic qualities, and we expect women to have these emotional qualities, and women leaders are evaluated pretty negatively by both men and women. You'd think that maybe women would be more gracious in looking at female leaders, but they're not. Um, There was no statistical difference between the two. And um, what was also interesting is that our ideal female leader often matched our ideal leader, which was Jesus. So there was that correlation of how people describe the ideal female leader was um, exactly, almost exactly like how they viewed the successful leader in general, which people often associated with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Because he had a lot of the relational qualities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was primarily relational, not agentic. How we think about gender and yeah, how we think about gender expressed in so many different contexts is really fascinating. You realize it's a lot more social than it is scientific at times. I want to raise a third challenge that women face, and it goes back to what you're saying about kind of caretaking responsibilities, but the concept of invisible labor, it's the idea that um, you said like it's difficult for women to have it all. It's the idea that in a home situation, um, women often end up doing a lot of work that's invisible, that's unidentified, but it is essential for the maintenance of a family. It's what you could think of as kind of like being project manager or chief operating officer of your home. And the reality is if you were to break down all of the individual responsibilities, all the steps that had to go into it, something as simple as planning a birthday party, organizing doctor and dentist and eye appointments, uh, making sure school forms are signed or kids are registered for sporting uh, goods or making sure birthday gifts are purchased for in-laws. Like the, the list is endless of things that, and I'm just going to, I know I'm being stereotypical, but I'm just going to say often that falls in into women's laps to organize that. That's a whole nother area of responsibility in addition to their professional lives, their relational lives, raising kids, that home management that often is unidentified can be a tremendous and exhausting burden in women's lives. And we're just starting to have better conversations about that. And I think uh, to be, fair and to help both men and women thrive, we need to be able to have better conversations about that. And I want to be careful I'm not pointing fingers. This isn't a conversation about like men need to be doing more. But I think it's a question of having um, greater awareness and healthier conversations to help men and women together steward the responsibilities of their home. Well, science and studies back up what you're saying is that um, the bulk of, you know, household duties still fall on the woman, you know, and, you know, married with children or, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, if you're by yourself, you have to take care of everything, you know, I mean, yeah. so you have to take care of work and everything, you know, so um, the studies bear that out is that women are still responsible for it. And it can be overwhelming. And I can imagine that, that women can, 
women who are trying to balance a full-time job along with household uh, chores and, you know, having to feel like they have to do it all can, can really lose their, their sense of calling in the midst of all that busy work. Yeah. I mean, it can really probably, I imagine, discourage women in, in feeling like their life has purpose and meaning whenever they're just cleaning toilets and running the kids around yeah. or, um, you know, making, taking care of your mother, you know, or our relatives, things like that. I mean, all of those things can really, if our schedule is too crammed and our expectations are too much, we can really start to, um, lose track of our calling. Yeah. There's a new book out. Um, it's not a Christian book, but has some real insight. It's called Fair Play, and the author is Eve Rodsky. There's also a, a documentary that was produced by the actress Reese Witherspoon um, by the same name that's streaming on Amazon. And, and the author, Eve Rodsky's goal was to help couples have more informed, healthier conversations about health, household responsibilities. And I was just been, I've been really encouraged and impressed by it, um, just to think about um, what it looks like to have just healthier, more hopeful conversations about managing some of those responsibilities together. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon seems to have her thing, her hand in yeah, everything. Exactly, with her exactly. fellow sunshine. So, speaking of someone who has a lot of influence, and she has two kids. Um, so, you have an, an event coming up. Um, women uh, work and calling. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is part of a multi-year initiative that we run out of Denver Institute. And our passion is to really fill that gap in Christian women's discipleship by really helping us have a biblical framework for thinking about our influence in public life. Also, we want to be building a, a relational network both here in the Denver metro area and now increasingly national of women who are um, passionate about pursuing their calling through leadership in the workplace. Um, often women feel very isolated in their faith communities or in the workplace. They may be the only person of faith they know. So that relational network, the the coaching and, and support that comes from that is critical. We also want women to be exposed to the lived example of Christian women living dynamically as they lead across various industries. And so at our annual event, Women Work and Calling, which is on October 8th, most of the speakers you'll see are on our platform are not the typical Christian women's event speakers. They're not Bible teachers or podcasters or influencers. They are women who are the chief investment officers of a values-driven investment firm or policy strategists or healthcare practitioners or lawyers talking about what does it look like to live as a Christian in this unique environment. Um, we also want to encourage soul care uh, for women in the pressures of managing their various responsibilities and stewarding their lives. We really have a holistic model uh, for thinking about Christian women stewarding all of their um, gifts in this broad call of following Christ. It's an exciting conversation that you really don't hear anywhere else. So if people want to find out more about that event or more about your work, where can they find you? They can go to womenworkandcalling.com. I would love to make an appeal. The event will be both in person in Colorado uh, on Saturday, October 8th, and online anywhere around the world. So even if you are on the West Coast and you're intrigued by this conversation around women and work, like please join us. Hop on as an online viewer. Uh, we would love to have you be part of the conversation. And you can find all the details and find tickets and speaker lineup at womenworkandcalling.com. Thank you so much, Joanna, for being with us. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. If you missed any part of this show, please be sure to listen again anywhere you get your podcast. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious.